Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning, it's Pastor Julie, and we are in the second of our Why Is It There? Crazy Stories in the Bible series, and we find ourselves in the book of Judges this morning, Um, Judges 3, verses 12 through 30, the story of Ehud. The Israelites, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened King Eglon of Moab against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In alliance with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, he went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. So the Israelites served King Eglin of Moab 18 years. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, son of Gera the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The Israelites sent tribute to, by him to King Eglin of Moab. Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he fastened it on his right thigh under his clothes. Then he presented the tribute to King Eglin of Moab. Now Eglin was a very fat man. When Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent the people who carried the tribute on their way. But he himself turned back at the sculptured stones near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So the king said, Silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber and said, I have a message from God for you. So he rose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into Eglin's belly. The hilt also went in after the blade, And the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the dirt came out. Then Ehud went into the vestibule and closed the doors of the roof chamber on him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came. When they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought he must be relieving himself in the cool chamber. So they waited until they were embarrassed. When he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. There was their Lord lying dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the sculptured stones and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hill country, having him at their head. He said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they killed about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. No one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest 80 years. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So how many of us are left-handed? I am. Well, we know this is a right-handed world since only about 10% of the world's population is left-handed. I, it is thought that left-handed people use different parts of their brain more than the 
right-handed people, and that can lead them to being more creative, more able to process written and spoken language, more likely to be in gifted and talented programs in school. But the studies are really inconclusive. Either way, the world tends to orient itself to the right hand being dominant. Most utensils and remote controls, computer setups, and cars are made with an orientation to right-handed people, leading to the report that left-handed people have an average life expectancy nine years shorter than right-handed people. Did you know that 2,500 left-handed people die every year using things produced to be used by right-handed people? Lefties die in car accidents more frequently than right-handed people because all the controls are set up for righties. Right-handed chainsaws account for the most accidental deaths for lefties using right-handed tools. Scissors are always made for right-handed people, and I, know for one, I for one know how difficult it is to get a straight cut trying to use them. For a long time, it was not a good thing to be left-handed. From the time of the Middle Ages, being left-handed was supposedly a sign of the devil himself. Early drawings of Satan showed him as being left-handed. So to the people of the day, it was an indication of evil. During the Spanish Inquisition, they would execute you simply because you were left-handed, since the Catholic Church had condemned being left-handed as evil. The Salem witch trials carried on that nonsense when they pronounced that left-handedness meant you were a practitioner of the dark arts, which essentially led to your being burned as a witch. For a long time after that, people related being left-handed to having mental illness. So to avoid implications of being mentally unfit or evil, they would force those children showing signs of being left-handed to use their right hand until it became their dominant hand. One of the only stories I have of my grandfather Wood's childhood tells of the teachers tying his left hand behind his back in school, forcing him to write with the other hand. When my oldest child showed signs of being a lefty, my mother-in-law was horrified and wanted me to do something similar. She thought it was evil. Did you know that the word sinister is the direct translation in Latin of left? Sinister phobia is the fear of left-handed people. Crazy, right? And some of that negative vibe really comes from scripture when you think about it. In Matthew 25, we read about the final judgment. It tells us that God will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And making a long parable short, the ones on the right are blessed because of their good deeds and enter the kingdom of heaven. The ones on the left are cursed because of their lack of good deeds and are thrown into eternal condemnation. Right, blessed. Left, cursed. Well, yes, in that parable, but... Thankfully, not in our story today. Being left-handed is not only a good thing, but seemingly ordained by God to carry out an assassination and effectively rescue the Israelites from oppression once again. What can we learn from a left-handed assassin and a rather large king? This crazy story in the Bible talks about God working in surprising ways, and even though it is a violent story, it has some rather humorous moments. Let's learn about how God can be a really funny guy and work in mysterious and strange ways for our good. 
So let's start with the context. Where are we and what is happening in the life of the Israelites? Well, they've made it into the promised land and are now living in the plots of land given to each of the 12 tribes. If you remember, the first city they destroyed was Jericho. That will be important in just a minute. The book of Judges tells us in the opening chapters that the tribes did not conquer all the peoples living there. So they are not only living among them, but now they will, as Judges 2 verse 3 states, become a snare to them because the Israelites will be enticed to worship their gods and turn away from the only true God. When Joshua, the one who brought them into the promised land, oversaw their battles and divided the land for them, has died. When we, and we get a hint of the trouble to come when it says, once all the elders that had been alive while Joshua was the leader have died, it says, moreover, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors and another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And it's almost the same exact kind of wording as the beginning of Exodus when it says, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And we know what happened next. The Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. But here in the promised land, how could anyone not know the Exodus story, not know how God had gotten them through the wilderness to their new home where they are now free? But that's what happened. And all those other people living among them turned their heads to worship their gods. And the God is not happy about it at all. Once Joshua died, there was not a single leader anymore. The tribes went to their own designated lands, and the tribes had their own systems of government and leaders. Yes, they had all been there when the covenant was renewed by Joshua, and they knew the terms of that agreement, but there wasn't any one single person keeping an eye on the faithfulness of all the tribes to that covenant. They should have been able to keep it, able to remember all the warnings they had been given, but that's not what happened either. The entire book of Judges is a cycle of events, well, more like a spiral downward, where the Israelites do evil, turning away from God and their promises, and God allowing or even raising up an army to subdue or enslave them again. After a while, the people remember God and cry out for deliverance. God raises up a leader to be his instrument of deliverance, and they somehow rescue the Israelites from their situation and give them their autonomy back. And the cycle repeats, as once they are saved, they fall back into doing evil, and it starts all over again. These leaders that God raises up are called judges in this book, but they're not like judges we know today. Called by God, they lead the Israelites out of oppression one way or another. Sometimes they are military leaders, sometimes they are decision makers, sometimes they are tricksters. Most of the time, though, you can count on them being unusual or unexpected heroes. This shows the world and us that it is God doing the rescuing. He just uses these judges to accomplish his mission. And if you read the entire book of Judges, you will see they just get stranger and stranger. So please, as I said last week, read your Bible. Now, Ehud is the second judge. So even though he's unconventional as a left-hander, he's not as strange as later judges such as Samson or Gideon. Now there's a couple of things to note before we get into the actual story. Ehud is from the tribe of Benjamin, 
And this is interesting and significant in a couple of ways. First, the name Benjamin means literally son of the right hand. God is such a funny guy. In 1 Chronicles 2, we also learn that one advantage the Benjaminites had developed was the ability to use both hands equally well. It chronicles the fact that they could fight anyone and surprise them by using the other hand instead. Kind of like being a left-handed boxer or a batter, lovingly known as a southpaw, referring to the direction they would face on the field. Boxers try to outfox their opponents by catching them off guard and leading with their right hand instead of their left. In baseball, being a switch hitter can throw off the pitcher since they have to change the target zone for the hit. There are times being a lefty has its advantages, and the same is true of our story hero, Ehud. He knows that they will check his left thigh for a weapon because that's where a right-handed man would hide one. This is a crafty man who plans King Eglin's demise. Now, King Eglin and the Moabites have overcome the Israelites and subjected them for 18 years, taking control of the city of Palms, otherwise known as Jericho. He presents their tribute of food and money to their king as his subjects, and he tells King Eglin he has a secret message for him. The king quickly clears his cool roof chamber, which is essentially a throne room on the roof. Ehud tells him he has a message from God, and to his credit, Eglin rises to receive the word of God, which is what Ehud hoped. This gives him a way to use this short dagger to kill this really large Jabba the Hutt-sized man. He is so fat that once he plunges the dagger in, the fat closes around it and takes it from his hand. And the next thing we read is that dirt came out of the wound. Well, to be clear, that dirt is the fecal matter in his colon. You really wouldn't want that dagger back now, would you? Now, he needs time to escape, so he locks the doors from the outside and just confidently goes out the way he came in. The writer really enjoyed what happens next as the servants wait patiently, thinking he's sitting on the toilet. Well, there probably was a smell. But after a long time, they get the key and open the door, finding him dead. By this time, Ehud has made his way home and called the Israelites to battle. They go to the river and intercept the soldiers coming to take revenge, and in doing so, turn the tables on the Moabites, gaining their freedom and subjecting the Moabites to their authority. Now, the moral of this story is that God uses what's left to make everything right. Get it? Well, no, that's not the actual point, but I thought it was funny. So what does this story have to say to us today? Well, the first thing we see is that God reminds us he can use anything and anyone to accomplish his purposes. In reading the Bible, I found that God uses the strangest, the most unexpected, and the least likely people and situations to make the biggest change. I mean, think about the burning bush for Moses, the talking donkey for Balaam, a bowl of hot stew for Jacob, a pregnant, unwed teenager, and the cross, an instrument of death. All these have been used by God to change the world in some way. And in my life, there have been people, sometimes with limited abilities, 
that have unexpectedly taught me so much about the joy of life and compassion and, best of all, true faith. Incidents that seemed life-shattering at the time have given me a sense of God's provision and strength in ways I wouldn't have had any other way. Can you think of a person or incident in your life where once you looked back, you saw God's hand at work through it and smiled? Just thinking about this pandemic, we know it's a virus we can't even see with our own eyes, and it has affected every area of our lives. Now, maybe God didn't ordain this virus, but God has used it to show us the importance of family, of our health, of compassion, and of caring for one another. Another thing this story can show us is the truth of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Remember, being left-handed wasn't normal. Ehud was just a guy escorting money to the king. God gave him the strength and the cunning to do the job he called him to do. And what a huge job that was. When we think we can't do something, think we're not good enough, talented enough, or the right or left person for the job, remember Ehud and step up, confident that God will work within you and make you the person he calls you to be. But another thing this story has to teach us is from the perspective of King Eglin. He was an oppressive ruler, putting the people of Israel in bondage. He was full of pride and did not love God. Sometimes that can be our story too, all full of pride, not listening to God, and not honoring God with our lives, especially in regards to how we treat other people. What this story tells me is that God will often find a way to show us the error of our ways, to send us a message and show us that there is something that needs to die in our lives. And God will send a person or situation to help whatever that might be, die. It's happened to me when my kids were little and maybe I tried to tell a little white lie to keep someone from knowing the truth, like that I was going somewhere and didn't want this other person to go. So I tell some other story about where I'm going. And just as the words popped out of my mouth, one of my children would say, that's not what you said, Mom. I thought you were going shopping with... Pow! Right in the kisser. God can use the least and the last to help us get it right. And maybe that left jab comes from the police officer pulling you over and giving you a warning for speeding. So watch out for the left jab. Some things in our life as a Christian may need to die. Whatever strange or seemingly hard thing happening in your life might just be the hand of God at work doing a little assassination to shape you into the person of love and life that he calls you to be. As we reflect on this crazy story in the Bible, we can remember that God finds ways to rescue us from bad situations, sometimes using the least likely means in people, so just hang on. Like Ehud, maybe that secret assassin is you or me, and we need to know that God provides all we need to get the job done, no matter what we believe about our own ability. Keep a lookout for the ways God tries to put to death those sins in our lives. Maybe if we do the work ourselves, God won't have to send in James Bond or a secret agent. Be humble before God. 
Take a good look at what needs to go and pray that God helps you get rid of that behavior or attitude. Then let God make you an instrument, not of war, of assassination, but of peace. Love God. Love one another. Watch out for that left jab sent in the name of Christ for your good and for the good of the world. Amen.